Crew, Doctor Who episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And if you're new here, welcome to the crew. If you end up liking our Doctor Who podcast, we've been around for a while and we've covered a lot of our favorite TV shows, starting with Mr. Robot, Westworld, The Magicians, Sherlock, and one of our biggest, Game of Thrones. If you're interested in any of those, we have channels for each one, or you can find everything, all of your favorite shows on our main Coffee Clatch Crew channel. But most importantly, don't forget to subscribe to the Doctor Who-specific channel. For everyone else, welcome back. This is a continuation of our discussion on Doctor Who, but we are going to cover everything today in this special Doctor Who guide. So this will be a little different from our episode-to-episode reviews. We know that there are many of our Clatchers who have been following Doctor Who, who consider themselves Whovians, just like us. But we have some of our Clatchers who are joining the Who Nation, and for that, we are providing you with this podcast. Yeah, not just for our Clatchers, but it seems like for the first time in Doctor Who history, this is an opportunity for other people to jump in. If you're not familiar, if you haven't been watching, it's a logical starting point. And so we thought we should give you something like that too, a crash course into everything you need to know about Doctor Who jam-packed into one episode. For those who have been watching, consider this a refresher a brush up, maybe some details you weren't aware of, and we will get into some information about Series 11 towards the end of the podcast, so you want to stay tuned for that. Now, Chris, it's the first time since probably 2005 where you could jump in and really just wet your feet and get into it. Which is where I started, and we're going to talk about that. They grouped the two segments into the original and the revival. So if you haven't been watching and you haven't seen the Ninth Doctor, 10, 11, 12, up to the 13th, don't worry. Christina and I are going to traverse this very thin line of spoiler and just background info. We will not be presenting you any spoilers because we want you to enjoy the ride like we did. Okay, but just as an official kind of warning, because we are talking about all this background information, we're going to get into the premise of the story, the history, all about the Doctors 1 through 13, but specifically 9 through 13 for the Revival era and their companions, and some fun facts about the show. So we might spoil some things. We're going to try not to do any deliberate big plot spoilers, just to be aware kind of as you're getting in. So here we go. Doctor Who is a British science fiction TV program produced by the BBC since 1963. It's become a significant part of British pop culture and elsewhere has gained a cult following, including here in the U.S., Doctor Who follows the adventures of the primary character, a rogue extraterrestrial time lord from the planet Gallifrey, who goes by the name The Doctor. He fled his planet in a stolen TARDIS, that stands for Time and Relative Dimensions in Space, a time machine he uses to explore the universe that travels by materializing and dematerializing out of the time vortex. The TARDIS has a vast interior, but appears smaller on the outside, and is equipped with a chameleon circuit intended to make the machine take on the appearance of local objects as a disguise. 
but due to a malfunction, the doctor's TARDIS remains fixed as a blue British police box, which was a common sight in Britain when the series first aired. Now, this TARDIS thing, I think it's genius what they did. In order to form a cult, which is the Whovians, and a following where you can go from one actor to another actor to another actor and still have people be on board, you need to have key elements that people trust and love. If the TARDIS always changed shape and form, I don't think it would have the ability to become iconic. But the fact that they chose to keep it as this big blue box that stands out, you know that blue box, you see it anywhere, you know that's Doctor Who. That's genius. Because it malfunctioned. That's a great explanation. And we're going to talk about this as we go along. The fact that Doctor Who is perhaps unique in numerous what you would call staple items for other shows continually changing. By that I mean cast down to the primary character of the doctor, him or herself, changing over time, the people he travels with, the companions changing over time, the settings changing over time. There are so many things that are different, it can be hard to keep track, but there are a couple of items that maintain their consistency, and thus I think we grow to love them even more, even the jokes like that, because they throw them in over time. It's something that you can rely on as being typical Doctor Who. To continue along with their premise, the Doctor combats a variety of foes while working to save civilizations and help people in need. He often finds events that pique his curiosity and tries to prevent evil forces from harming innocent people or changing history, using only ingenuity and minimal resources such as the versatile sonic screwdriver. The Doctor rarely travels alone and often brings one or more companions to share these adventures. These companions are usually humans. This is because of the Doctor's fascination with planet Earth. They go to many, many places, but they always return to Earth where he comes to help them out or to save the planet. This leads to frequent collaborations with an international military task force called UNID when the Earth is threatened. As a Time Lord, the Doctor is centuries old and has the ability to regenerate in cases of mortal damage to the body, taking on a new appearance and personality, and we will talk about that. That's why the Doctor changes. He is able to regenerate, kind of reboot. We'll get into what that means. He's also gained numerous reoccurring enemies that we'll talk about. While there are different things throughout each episode, some plots and stories will weave their way throughout the course of the series over time. That's one of my favorite things. A plot is building without you even knowing, and then they start unfolding it towards the end of the season or maybe the next season, and you have that callback that makes it that much more valuable to you. And you're like, oh my God, that's what that meant. Yeah, so you have these kind of self-contained one episode. Sometimes the stories stretch out to two episodes or even three, but then you have bigger storylines that run through the series that are wrapped up generally by the end of the series. That's similar to any other show. But then even bigger themes that run throughout the entirety of Doctor Who. For instance, one of his enemies, the Daleks, have been around since the beginning of Doctor (laughs) Who. They're still around today. Although maybe not Series 11. We'll get there. While we're talking about the history, let's get into that. We're not going to focus too much on the original. By that, I mean the program that originally ran from 1963 to 1989. It was 26 seasons. But we'll just give you a bit of the background. The premiere was in 1963 and aired 80 seconds later than the scheduled time. This was due to the assassination of John F. Kennedy the previous day. Wow. There was so much news coverage going on at the time, as well as a series of power blackouts across the country. 
The program itself was originally intended to appeal to a family audience as an educational program using time travel to explore scientific ideas and famous moments in history. However, science fiction stories came to dominate over time, though they continued to use these historical settings, and that makes so much sense now. Mm. I didn't know that, but I love the fact that we will have some taking place in the past and you get to see... Those are your favorite, I'd say. Yeah, different eras in time, the costuming, the influences, the major figures that we get to meet. So fun. Then the imaginative nature, the creativity of looking forward towards the future and what that could be. I think in general, the past are my favorite episodes, but I've mentioned before that the gridlock episode, which is supposed to be set in the future, is by far my favorite episode I've ever seen. This is something interesting that I didn't know. The Daleks were supposed to be victims of an alien neutron bomb attack, but they later decided to drop the aliens and make the Daleks the aggressors. So they weren't supposed to be the bad guys. Oh, wow. And at first, when I began watching Doctor Who, I thought they were kind of cheesy. I thought they were terrible. (laughs) But they grew on me, for sure. And that's why they're in our opening music. They're iconic. Yeah, there's some things, if you are new to this... And you go back to previous episodes that might be a little difficult. I can remember the concept of the changing doctors. What? My main character could be different next year Mm. or in a couple of years? What is that about? I just got to like this person. (laughs) And then you have these enemies. The Daleks are robotic, kind of rolling around, making these strange noises. All they ever say is exterminate. What is this (laughs) about? But I think the more information that you do get, the more things start to tie together and you understand where this is coming from. It, it does grow on you. And there's a being inside of it. So it makes sense why they're so rigid. Exactly. It's actually someone inside or something. And then all these different kinds of aliens that Cybermen. would look different. Yep. And going back to having new doctors and being able to adjust. That's something I learned over time. And you started watching after I pushed you to start watching and I saw you going through the same emotions (laughs) and I tried to assure you, listen, you feel empty. You feel like this is not my doctor right now, but give him time soon. Give her time and she or he is going to start to grow on you and you're going to love the little things about that person and that's going to become your doctor. That's true. And we're going to talk about who our favorite was, which ones we liked and didn't like when we go through the doctor's section. Back to the history, this is also amazing. When the script was initially presented to BBC head of drama Sidney Newman and head of script Donald Wilson, it was immediately rejected as the program wasn't permitted to contain any bug-eyed monsters, quote-unquote. The producer, Verity Lambert, said, we didn't have a lot of choice. We only had the Dalek serial ready to go. We had a bit of a crisis of confidence because Wilson was so adamant we shouldn't make it. Had we had anything else ready, we would have made that. Now, of course, the Daleks, a.k.a. the mutants, became the second serial and introduced the creatures that would become their most popular monsters. Can you imagine, though, if they went back and said, no, we got to scrap this? It just makes me think of all the shows and movies that we do watch, and we have no idea what happened in the background, and maybe their original ideas were better, and we don't even know. I am not surprised at this point in time, though, that this concept was difficult. I actually can't even believe they were able to push it forward into existence. If you tried to explain the whole basis of the show yeah. in selling it to a TV station, I don't know how many people would be up for that. Well, thinking about it there, the producers are thinking of it as a kid's show. 
so they don't want anything scary. But I guess when it comes down to the wire and this is all they have, they just go, all right, push it through. Yeah, there wound up being a lot of outrage as the show went on about more and more scarier things that weren't fitting. But really, it's other concepts that I think I would have struggled with, namely the so many changes to essential things of the storyline. But that's part of what they were on board for. We'll talk about that in a minute when we get to regeneration. During the original run, each weekly episode formed part of a story or serial, usually of about four parts. Due to falling numbers and public perception, production was suspended in 1989 and effectively canceled after the 26th series. That was the end of the original. Although BBC repeatedly affirmed it would return in 1990 for a 27th series, they hoped to find an independent production company to relaunch the show. During this time, there was an unsuccessful attempt to revive regular production with a backdoor pilot in 96 in the form of a television film. It was successful in the UK, but not as much in the US. There were novels, audio dramas, comic books, and spin-offs, but TV programming remained dormant until 2003. In September of that year, BBC announced that in-house production of a new series with writer Russell T. Davies and head of drama Julie Gardner would return. The show finally returned for the relaunch, The Revival, in 2005 with the episode Rose. Oh, one of my favorite companions. This version was a direct plot continuation of the original series. But other things did change. The format moved to a series consisting of 13 45-minute self-contained episodes. So no longer were we at the four-parters or even really the two-parters. Later, this 13 episodes would move to 12, and now it's going to be 10, but it remained that way for a while. And as we said, they were linked with a loose story arc that was finally resolved in each series finale. Since then, there have been nine further series and an extended 60-minute Christmas Day special each year. In 2010, Davies left the show at the end of series four, as did David Tennant. We began with Stephen Moffat and the new doctor, Matt Smith, at the time. So we're breezing through this because, I mean, we could talk for hours and hours. There's so many things that you guys would need to know or I think I would love you to know. I believe in our Christmas special, we briefly spoke about Moffat getting his uh, chance to become the main writer. We did. So, you know, there's this switch over when they return for the revival, you have Russell T. Davies and he is helming the show for a while. And then you go over to Stephen Moffat, and he does it right up until the end of the last series. And now we're going to have another turnaround. So this will be the third turnaround within the revival era. If you want to hear a little more about that and some other things, definitely check out our last Doctor Who Christmas special, which is up on the new channel. It's another way to get acquainted and also to be familiar with the last episode we've seen of Doctor Who before now. And it's pretty cool because this originally was only behind our Patreon subscription, and it gives you a chance to see what our Patreon members get every month. Well, as we said, over time, Doctor Who has become a cultural icon. It has a cult following. It's received consistently high ratings in the number of viewers and appreciation index. Now let's talk about one of the most important parts, the Doctor's. Again, to try to keep it a little simple, because all of this can get really twisted and confusing, we have had 12 doctors, plus a war doctor who's not numbered, (laughs) and we're going to be moving into our 13th doctor this season with Jodie Whittaker. The first eight were of the original era. 
So we'll only talk about them a little bit. But I want to tell you about just the doctor in general. This is supposed to be the same being (laughs) that inhabits these forms over the course of the show. While there are changes, it's still the doctor. So the transition from one actor to the next when we have to change is written to the plot of the show with the concept of regeneration into a new incarnation, a device where the Time Lord, whose body is too badly healed to heal normally, that's when he uh, dies. We don't want to say dies, but you know his body kind of gives out, if you will. And instead of dying, dying, he is able to recover by transforming into this new body, regenerating. Now, the doctor is an alien. He's a Gallifreyan. He comes from a different world. Mm-hmm. Now, there's backgrounds about that world. I don't know how much we can divulge for the newcomers. Yeah, we'll talk a little, a little. But his species are different. They're special as compared to humans. They have two hearts and, again, the ability to regenerate. But they can't regenerate infinity amount of times. Right. They have a set amount of regenerations. We don't know why that is. The or rules what, of we only have one life. Yeah, right? but there's so. like, you know, there's a lot, even once you watch the entirety of Doctor Who and you get this little bit of background on where he comes from and maybe some of his younger years, you still don't really have a great picture of why a lot of these things are. And here's where we do have to get into a little bit of spoilers to tell you these things. Basically, that's because we think Doctor Who is one of the only Time Lords left in the universe. Right. And there's a reason for that, and we won't tell you that. But he did eventually run out of regenerations. Yes. Now, the thing with these writers, they have complained about many times. The more they write, the further they go into their career as being Doctor Who writers. There's so many Whovians who know the ins and outs of everything that has been written about, said about the Time Lord, the laws, quote unquote, of the Time Lord, that if you write something that tweaks that a little bit, They go crazy. Yes, because it's not just the show. There's information about this world that comes from the comic books, the novels, the audio series. If you sit down and you look at some of the statistics, one of the biggest ones that's questioned, how old is the doctor? (laughs) Well, every doctor throughout the entire show has kind of told a different story. So at one point, the doctor says he's 900 years old, but then later he says he's 700 and something years old. And then he goes back and says he's 1,000 years old. It doesn't even make sense to track stuff like that. Time is wibbly wobbly. It's just going to confuse you. Right. Let's just say you're a time traveler. You're moving in and out between time streams and universes and planets. They've made it a joke because there literally is no way to consistently track it. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it makes sense to try to do that. So the doctor did run out of regenerations. Mm -hmm. But he was granted more. That's the most we'll give you. And it's not a spoiler because the storyline is tremendous. Anything we tell you is kind of essential to keep moving forward with talking about this. Uh, It's stuff you're probably going to learn really quickly. Like I say, there's no way to do it without some spoilers. Mm So here's the tip of the iceberg if this is making you nervous. Maybe go watch a few, get familiar, and then come back. Now... What's interesting about this is it was actually the producers that introduced the concept of regeneration to allow for the recasting of the main character. This was prompted by the poor health of the original actor, the first doctor, William Hartnell. They still didn't have it clarified, though, at the time. They were describing it as undergoing a renewal, 
For the second doctor, they called it a change of appearance. It wasn't until the third doctor that they fully conceived this idea of regeneration that we used moving forward. Now, each actor's portrayal differs, and with each regeneration comes a change in personality. We're going to talk about most of those. But the doctor retained some core traits, heroism, intolerance of justice, wisdom, and a melancholy. And these all make sense once you start seeing what these new doctors and their personalities are. Because if you think about it, if you are essentially immortal, you're going to fall in love. And I don't mean love, love sexually. It could also be fall in love with your companions, people that you depend on, and you see them die over and over again while you live through it. And you see humankind disappoint you, but then also surprise you and make you feel jubilant towards the race. You see death, you see wars, you're going to get jaded. And sometimes your regeneration might reflect your feelings at that time. Again, we'll discuss it a little further later, but the war doctor that we only got to see for one special episode as a Christmas special, he was super jaded. He Mm. was very dark. He was a war doctor. This is one of the many things that I really love about this whole universe. Even the last doctor, number 12, Peter Capaldi, had a decent amount of time starting at the beginning of the series where he was melancholy. He was dark. He was jaded. He went through his own mini transformation over the course of the series and and kind of landed at something a bit differently by the end. But he was certainly no Matt Smith as far as the presentation of what he brought to the doctor. Jason, let's talk quickly about our original era doctors, one through eight, just so we get a feel for the evolution, uh, especially because we did not watch any of the original seasons one through eight. Doctor number one who played the character from 1963 to 1966, was William Hartnell. It said he was deceptively doddering a tetchy old man, an unreadable guarded figure who was slow to trust newcomers at first. He was often irascible and angry. He was very protective of the young women he took on as companions and short-tempered, but apparently he mellowed over time. Now, Also, each doctor had an item that was sort of unique to them. <laughs> yeah. His was a ring with a blue stone, and his death, I'm going to call them deaths, I know that they're not really, but I don't know how else to put that, came from old age. So that form outlived its ability. Yes, and this is the very first doctor, so he had stolen the TARDIS, he had his granddaughter Susan with him, and he was beginning the adventures of Doctor Who. Then we go to the second doctor, 1966 through 69, played by Patrick Trofton. He was comical on the surface. In contrast to the first doctor, warm and wise, he liked for people to underestimate him. So he kind of put on this show in order to trick his opponents. Uh, People would refer to him as a clown. But underneath, he was very calculating. Also worth a note that he carried around a 500-year-old diary during which he was trying to record his travels. The recorder was his item. He died by forced transformation from the other Time Lords. He was essentially executed. Doctor number three, 1970 to 1974, played by John Pertwee. It said he was a more dashing figure than his predecessors. He had a bow tie. Bow ties are cool. He was actually called a dandy, quote unquote, by other doctors. He was mostly earthbound as compared to the other doctors. He favored fancy cars, clothes, wine and cheese. He represented a fatherly figure and a deeply moral man. 
His item was a yellow roadster called Bessie, and he died from radiation poisoning. We're going to have actually a couple doctors that that's the cause of their death. Doctor number four, 1974 to 1981, was played by Tom Baker. He was more eccentric, rarely without this multicolored scarf that he wore. He was a combination of a goofy, bohemian image. That scarf became very iconic. This is the time that the doctor ended his regular association with unit on Earth and did not really return to the planet that much. He also had an endearing devotion to his companions. His death came through a battle with the master. Doctor number five, 1982 to 84, was played by Peter Davison. This has been quoted as one of the favorite pastime doctors. Yeah, that's it because he displayed energy, compassion, and innocence not often seen in his predecessors. He was very human and vulnerable. He used improvisation to get out of tricky situations, and he was the first doctor to sacrifice himself for another. His thing, weirdly enough, was a sprig of celery that he wore in his lapel. I don't know why. I'm not familiar with this doctor. He died of spectrox toxemia. I had that last week. Thank (laughs) God medicine has gotten better. Well, this was interesting, though, because him and one of his companions were both dying of it. They only had one dose of the antidote, and he gave it to her rather than himself. So that's how that happened. The Sixth Doctor, 1984 to 1986, was played by Colin Baker. He was a grandiose and more eloquent incarnation. He had a multicolored wardrobe. He had a question mark on his collar. Oh, this one had a question mark, too? Yep. The Seventh Doctor apparently had a question mark on his umbrella. That's one of those callbacks that we all love. Wow. So this doctor had a manic personality, but also the lack of concern for little things annoyed his companions. He was also capable of violent action, more so than any of the previous doctors, killing without remorse when his life was threatened. Well, that's something These this one... Doctor, Doctor Who, which we don't know his real name, and I hope they never tell us because I love knowing that there's a real name there. The amount of PTSD this doctor has gone through, it would mess with your personalities. Yeah, it sounds like it really came out here because this eventually deteriorated into extreme paranoia. He had less patience for his companions, fought with them, and I think it said he almost killed one. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so I'm going to have to go back and check out what was going on with the Sixth Doctor. Full disclosure, we're not that much aware of the older school Doctor Who. Mm -hmm. But we are very intimate with the new version. The revival, yeah, once we get to the Ninth Doctor. This Doctor died because he hit his head, perhaps during an attack on the TARDIS. There's controversy about that. The Seventh Doctor, from 1987 to 1989, was played by Sylvester McCoy. He had a bit of a Scottish burr. He was a keen strategist and scientist. He was a planner who embraced the complexities of his traveling and his role, but sometimes alienated his companions a little bit. This is the doctor who had the umbrella, and he was shot by a street gang and died during surgery. Hmm. Surgery. Weird to think that a doctor would have undergone a surgery. Very weird. And then the eighth doctor who ran only for the year of 1996, played by Paul McGann. He showed a more romantic, sensitive side. He was soft-spoken, felt more deeply, but also suffered from periods of amnesia. Which we have seen in all the Doctors. That's the period after they regenerate. And I don't know how this next season is going to do this. It might be completely different, but 
the 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th Doctor, when they first regenerate, they don't remember much. They're kind of goofy. They're kind of senile, uh, very childlike, because they're not, their brain isn't there yet. That's true, but this Doctor, it went on longer than that. He spent his travels crossing between parallel universes and time paradoxes, making his timeline hard to piece together. And I'm sure these writers, and this is just a guess, thought it would make sense because when you're going through time, we've seen movies, we've seen shows that are, it's just so hard to piece together what was first, what was last, what's real, what's fake, what happened, what did I change? It'd be easy to be that way. But as a viewer, that's probably very difficult to get on board with. And so we'll come back around to the War Doctor. This is going to end the original Doctors. Now we're going to move to the Revival Era Doctors, starting with Doctor Nine, who ran only for 2005. Tear. I'm talking about Christopher Eccleston, my favorite Doctor. Go now! Go grab the banana! Why not? Good source of potassium! This is definitely Christina's favorite. And you know what? It took me a while for him to be dethroned for me. But as I think back, I do have a new favorite. I know you do. But I loved him. It's hard because he only was a doctor for one year. So I think that's going to create this situation where either you love him, he doesn't have enough time to mess anything up, or you don't like him because you don't have enough time to warm up to him and get to know him. Because this is the doctor I started out with. I came this in at the doctor. revival era. I think that also influences things. So this doctor had a lot of guilt. He considered himself the sole survivor and responsible for what happened to his people. He had more playfulness than his previous incarnations, but underneath that, he was really emotionally and psychologically scarred. So sometimes he was a bit detached, except when it came to Rose, his companion, who he cared deeply for, and she helped him begin to heal. He actually ultimately sacrificed himself for her. Now, in this revival season, when I tell people to start watching Doctor Who, I tell them it's going to look a little corny at first, a little cheesy. They were finding their footing. It is a little cheesy, but you're going to learn to love it. But kind of in and the it matures. But kind of in the way that old school '80s movies are cheesy, yes, but exactly. we have such a fondness, we <laughs> like to go back and rewatch them. I mean, his item was a leather jacket. I find that really endearing. He, for me, felt a little darker. In our opening song, we have him briefly where he says, why don't you just die already? And that's to the Daleks. He has some pain inside of him. I love that. It made him feel more real to me because we're going to see that with David Tennant, but in a way that felt like only he understood it. I couldn't cop onto it. I didn't feel for him because of it a lot of the time. Even Matt Smith was more eccentric and removed. I actually felt close to the ninth doctor. And you can see where the relationship he develops with Rose, why she feels that way. All right, I'm going to not say manner of deaths for these new revival doctors in case you do want to go back and start with the 2005 beginning. I don't want to ruin that for you. I do wish that he had more than one season. Oh, man. And we know the background. Eccleston is a big time actor and he didn't think this was going to take off like it did. And he didn't really agree often with the writers and the producers. So it wasn't a cohesive environment for them. And that's why he left. 
When you accepted the role as Doctor Who, uh-huh. we've got to that moment in the interview Here now. we go. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. Good luck, everybody. Good luck, everyone. Yeah. Uh, was that... Were you talked into that decision? No, I wasn't talked into that decision. That was my decision. I approached Russell T. Davis. I emailed him and said, I know you're going to do this. I think you should think about me. Because mm-hmm. I'd acted a lot for adults. Um, <clears throat> and I wanted to do something for children. I wanted to to play a different, try and try and learn a lighter way of, you know, of being. But Did you achieve it? I think I overpitched the comedy. Uh, if I had my time again, I would do the comedy very differently. But I think obviously where I did possibly succeed was in the tortured stuff (laughs) surprise surprise (laughs) so why did you go you were so good thank you very much that what's interesting in this country is whenever a story like this is emerges they concentrate on the negative i don't think it's important that i left i think it's important that i did it in the first place um I don't think it's important that I left. Okay, it may not be important, but to fans, it was a bit of a shock because uh, you could have stayed there for four, five, six. You could still be there yeah, now. Yeah. So that 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 was a big decision not but to I, do any more after the first series. I'm still there. I was in David Tennant. I was in Matt Smith. Was, <laughs> are we going to edit this? Yeah. I was in Peter Capaldi. <laughs> Nobody knows this about the Time Lords. <laughs> um, I'm always there in spirit. Okay, but 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 talk me through the decision to leave. Was it was it because you didn't work within that structure of a rigorous show running show? Myself and three individuals at the very top of the pyramid clashed. So off I went. Okay. But they're not here to say their side of it, so I'm not going to go into detail. That's right. I'm going to be calling them later. Good, excellent. That's a really difficult time to jump in in portraying the doctor. Yeah. You, you don't know what it's going to be yet. The wishy-washy-ness of it. The, the wibbly-wobbliness. <laughs> <laughs> well, things were definitely solidified with the next doctor, doctor number 10, played by David Tennant, who was the doctor for five years. This was my favorite doctor. One of the longest runs a doctor has ever had. Some things are fixed, some things are in flux. How do you know which is which? Because that's how I see the universe. What is, what was, what could be, what must not. That's the burden of the time not Donna. I saw Harry Potter before I started watching Doctor Who. But then, Clatchers, you know we're Harry Potter fans. Now we do full reviews of all the Harry Potters in our Patreon. So we've been re-watching and re-watching. But many years ago, when I re-watched Harry Potter for the first time since watching Doctor Who, I was like, oh my god, that's David Tennant! Mm-hmm. Holy shit! And since then, we've had the ninth doctor, Chris Eccleson, and the tenth doctor, David Tennant, work together in Broadchurch, another BBC. Well, and David Tennant with Jodie Whittaker, who's going to be our thirteenth doctor. Also in Broadchurch. Correct. So David Tennant is a very interesting kind of character. I think he really brought something new and different to his portrayal. It's this manic kind of personality. He has a fondness for humans. He has an outgoing personality. Now, also, like the Ninth Doctor, it's to hide this kind of residual trauma that he went through. absolutely. You can always sense there's something going on there, but most of the time there's a youth and an energy to him, uh, even a bit of a romantic portrayal. He's kind of all over the place, but you like him. I cried during his death. Did you? Yeah. 
See, I liked him. I wasn't as emotionally attached to him. He himself had more emotional attachments, I think. He had a lot of different people, mm. dalliances, whatever you want to call them, relationships over the course of being the doctor. He was also the first to explicitly fear and dodge regeneration. Oh, the iconic, I don't want to go. Yes. Oh. He became attached to this form of the doctor, and it actually was feeling like a death to him. He had his converse all-star sneakers. He was also the first doctor to actually waste a regeneration to try to retain this form. That's as deep as we'll get with that. <laughs> well, in his thing, though, you know, he, he had his sneakers and everything else, but his actual thing was his 3D glasses. So he also had the sonic screwdriver, but we're going to have a couple of doctors who have those. It's not really considered their item, quote unquote. And this sonic screwdriver changed size from regeneration to regeneration. We have a few of them here. They don't work. I thought they would, but they don't. <laughs> yeah, and form. Have you seen the new one? Yeah. For the 13th Doctor? Looks awesome. It's really cool. I feel that the 10th Doctor's regeneration episodes were the best. And this is your favorite, no? Yeah. And uh, the Christmas special is his regeneration episode. And uh, I don't know. I just, there's something about him and Rose together. Uh, I, I love the 9th Doctor too, but it just, it's so hard to explain, but it pulls at my heartstrings, this one Doctor. Yeah, and it's interesting, we'll get into this when we talk about companions, but David Tennant does pick up with Rose Tyler, but then also has Donna Noble. Donna! So he's going to kind of split companions. Moving on to the 11th Doctor, 2010 to 2013, played by Matt Smith. Now don't get me wrong, I really, really love Matt Smith. Bowties are cool, his fish sticks. Oh, then! The Doctor will see you now! One more, just one. Is this world protected? But you're not the first lot to have come here. Oh, there have been so many. And what you've got to ask is... What happened to them? I'm the doctor. Basically, run. I love his goofiness because it reminds me most of me. Yes, I agree. He has this youthful enthusiasm. It's like a renewal, but he's also even more all over the place. He could turn angry and ruthless mm -hmm. when events change. He was a schemer. To me, is even more detached and hard to kind of emotionally connect with. So I, I felt we took one tiny little step down with David Tennant, but I still really liked him. What then do you mean by down? An emotional attachment for me to a doctor. Oh, okay. And the ability for him to connect with his companions. He did but more companions over Amy a broader Pond. period of time. It's sort of like with Chris Eccleston, it was Rose. It was right. only Rose, and it was a deep connection. And so now you move to David Tennant. He's a little more all over the place. He's got a lot going on, <laughs> but he does have emotions. Then Matt Smith, who's even more weird and eccentric and, and harder to connect to, and then Peter Capaldi. So for me, 
while I loved them all, it did decrease in favorites as time went on. I really? would kind of order them in that order, 9, 10, 11, 12, as far as my like for them as doctors. Some people would disagree. I know a lot of I people disagree. loved David Tennant. And for a lot of people, he is their favorite doctor. Doctor. I'm the doctor. <laughs> so to the last doctor we have had, number 12, from 2014 to 2017, Peter Capaldi. Hello. Uh, difficult to explain. He's an older form. The first time in a while that the doctor appears older. He is petulant. He is not comfortable with affection. Very sarcastic. He lacks in empathy. Definitely in the beginning, he comes off as more callous and uncaring. Kind of just focused on the task at hand. You only really see the true face of the universe when it's asking for your help. We show ours by how we respond. No! I do what I do because it's right. Because it's decent. And above all, it's kind. This was an issue that Whovians had around the world. Listen, Peter Capaldi, his acting is amazing. I have so much respect for this guy. It was unprecedented when he became Doctor the Doctor because he was actually in the show previously mm-hmm. as a character, uh, I, I guess you would say a main character for that storyline, that episode or two in Pompeii. It right. was his family. They, he was the, every time the Doctor goes out, he has his companions, but there's a particular family or person that he helps out in whatever time frame he's at. Yeah, they become that was like his family. kind of temporary companions, if you will, for the episode. Sometimes they don't travel with him. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they do, yeah. So it's a completely different role. And the problem that a lot of Whovians had was that Peter Capaldi started playing this role so dark and so jaded and distant. Yeah. A lot of the young audience left, and this is due to him being older. That's not his fault. And I'm not saying that it was a problem. I like the fact that the Doctor Who universe is willing to take chances but i have to tell you towards the end his last season in particular i really learned to love him you got to remember that with every new doctor these actors are trying to find their footing as well they're trying to find what kind of doctor am i going to be what works best and it took capaldi a little bit to find his footing but i ended up really liking him he left a long-lasting Uh, love for me yeah I think that for me it wasn't the fact that he was older although that was a little difficult to get used to or even that he was crass and standoffish it was that it felt like he didn't know how to play it it felt like we were back and forth he didn't have a good handle on the portrayal he wanted to put forth of the doctor Uh, midway through that season I think he started to kind of figure it out but it did take a while to really nail it once he had it and he was showing us that, then I liked him. I absolutely agree. But especially in the first couple of episodes, the people he was surrounded with, the companions, quote unquote, it wasn't necessarily the companions. Um, I won't go into the character names. They were very, very strong and they were more fun to watch. I think that was on purpose. Honestly, it took a season or two Maybe by the third season, I started to really enjoy him. Well, also, because of those factors, he wasn't close with his companions 
for a while. And even by the end, yes, they developed a relationship, but it wasn't the same bond I had felt with other doctors and their companions. Um, and these weren't my personal favorite companions either. So it was, it was really tough. And I've told this story before how I had my first exposure actually with this doctor, the 12th and this season where I watched a couple of episodes, I started to like it. And then you said, okay, well now let's go back. Let's start with the ninth doctor. Let's do this right. Yeah. And watch it all the way forward. And I started watching Chris Eccleston. I was like, oh my goodness, this is so much better. I really like this doctor. Uh, By the time we worked our way back around and started to go through Peter Capaldi, like I said, I warmed up to him. I felt he finished super strong, maybe one of the strongest finishes for any doctor. He went out on a definite high note. And now we're going to have to change all over again. Yes. Now, before we go forward, Clara was... I want to go back to what you were just saying a couple of sentences ago about the companions, not your favorite companions, all these things. One of the problems I think we all had as viewers is that Clara was still his companion, who we have grown to love for many reasons. She was deeper than most companions as far as story-wise because we've known and seen this actress a few times. That's the furthest I'll go with that. But she was with Matt Smith for a little bit. Then comes Capaldi. And he's so cold with her, but we love Clara. So we're actually mad at him too, because this is our Clara. And you're being rude to her. You know, you're being so distant and don't treat Clara like this. The other doctor wouldn't treat Clara like this. We had an emotional uh, negative towards it that I think uh, backfired a little bit. And you didn't like Clara as much as I did. She is one of my top companions. I love her. Well, so, okay, when we start, I don't have that emotional connection to her. I'm jumping in on doctor number 12. I don't know Clara from a hole in the wall. So I didn't have that. Or a crack in the wall. (laughs) I didn't have that. And I, you know, she she was good as a character. I liked her. I really was kind of referring to Bill Potts that I had trouble warming up to. It wasn't until I went back and figured out who Clara was and whatnot that I kind of see what you're saying, but... By that point, it was it was kind of moot. So, mm-hmm. um, jaded. You're, <laughs> you're you're getting into companions. I'm though, sorry, and we're gonna get there in a second. I want to come back to the doctors for a minute. We're not gonna get into thirteen and series eleven yet. We will talk about that. The doctor himself. All these portrayals we're talking about, they have something in common. He was initially shrouded in mystery. He still is a very mysterious person, one that we don't know a lot about. His name is Doctor Who. And mystery. <laughs> yeah, that can make it difficult at times for us to connect with him. And the companions that share his travels are kind of a surrogate for the audience because we see the doctor as they do. We see it through their eyes and we experience it the same ways. As we said, the only kind of things that we know definitively about the doctor is that he's an eccentric alien traveler of great intelligence. He battles injustice through these explorations. He comes from a place called Gallifrey. We got a little bit of information there that I won't talk about. Some of what happened, some of his younger years, and what's gone on since then, but not a lot. We also know that his name is a major part of this. It's not just a question. Supposedly, it's the oldest and most dangerous question in the Hmm. universe, according to The Silence, which is a group of characters that we meet along the way. 
They tell us silence must fall when the question is asked, because if it was answered, it would lead to destruction on a universal scale. Uh, supposedly through several methods. There are three, actually, if you want to go look that up, of how we would actually be destroyed. So that's pretty interesting. Um, yet there are some people that do know his name. A few very select that's characters true. in this show. Three, in fact. And the doctor himself spoke about it for the first time in Peter Capaldi's final moments. He left the next doctor advice, which kind of takes us nicely into our doctor of today. He said, you mustn't tell anyone your name, but they wouldn't be able to understand it even if you did, except children. Children can hear it sometimes if their hearts are in the right place and the stars too, but nobody else ever. And that's kind of the first bit of information we've gotten and we still don't know why or what that means. I, I assume over time we'll get little kind of tidbits such as that. As we go further into this podcast, and I'm realizing we're doing something different than we've ever done. We're trying to cater to people who aren't in the Who Nation and to people who are. And it's so hard not to say certain things. Right, but the people who are know those things. Right. Y you know, you know what we're talking about. We don't have to reiterate uh, what we found out on Gallifrey or the people that know the doctor's name and why, you'll get that. Absolutely. And there's certain companions or certain characters that we won't really press on. Moving into the season, once we start our episodic coverage, we will put a spoiler section at the end of the episodes where we will be able to say, oh my goodness, I think this ties back to that thing that happened. Yes. Can you believe it? Uh, but for this guide, we want to keep it inclusive for everyone. So if you are interested in that, moving forward... With the episode one, we'll start to give you warnings on when we'll have that segment. And if you are new to Who Nation and you're very intrigued, and you must be if you're listening, if you have Amazon Prime, you can catch up. They have the whole library there. So check that out. It's the right time. You have up until October 7th when the season premieres. And I think BBC is even doing... On my birthday, September 25th, they're going to do a marathon of every single episode for there a few you days. Go. There you go. So you could just catch up that way. Call out of work. Just sit there and watch. <laughs> but now we're going to move on to the companions. The companions are characters who travel with and share the adventures of the doctor. Most of the times there's a primary companion. As we set a lens to view the series through, they often ask questions, challenge, or even help and rescue the doctor. They often say, it's bigger on the inside. <laughs> Initially, the Doctor was unclear, his character, motives, abilities, but later this relationship kind of evolved into a hero sidekick pattern. However, what qualifies as a companion is sometimes unclear. For example, Kit and Delaware assisted the Doctor for several weeks in traveling in the TARDIS, but was never awarded the title. There are also some one-off companions, like Astrid Perth and Jackson Lake. They have assumed a variety of roles, involuntary passengers, assistants, friends, adventurers. One thing that I believe the Doctor really enjoys with the companions and they all have in common is their need for adventure. Yeah. He feeds off of that. Oh, where do you want to go? You want to go to when the world ends? <laughs> do you want to go to the beginning of time? You know, he gets so excited about that. And that makes me excited. Because that's where his abilities and this thing that he's kind of stuck with is a good thing. It's where he can enjoy it, not where it's this heavy weight of responsibility. But even when it's that part of things, the companion adds 
companionship, friendship mm-hmm. to that. He's not alone Absolutely. in taking on those challenges. Sometimes, though, this puts the burden on the companions, and they don't realize that until they're deep in yes, what he's placed upon them. And we get to see the doctor in many forms. And what I mean by that is we get to see him apprehensive on getting a new companion because he realizes I'm just going to hurt you or you're just going to hurt me because you're going to have to go eventually. There's so many emotions that go into this series that we follow and we feel with them. And something on top of the companion is the companion's husband, wife, friends, parents. I think that even adds more layers to this beautiful song that they make. That's mostly in the revival era that these people are depicted. These kind of secondary, the companion's companions. But the companion themselves, sometimes they have to return home. Sometimes they decide they don't want to do this anymore. Sometimes their lovers go with them. Right. (laughs) And that causes its own set of complications and interesting things in the storyline. And fun storylines, yeah. It's worth mentioning, though, there are times where the doctor jumps into a relationship with these people. He doesn't think so much about the impact, or he outright kind of takes advantage of them. I mean, we have to say that. There are incarnations or moments of the doctor that aren't as kind. That happens often when there's someone who is in the know with someone who is ignorant to what's going on. Mm -hmm. And more often than not, you will be taking advantage of it, but advantage of them. But to the doctor, he's going to take them on an adventure that they or he feels they need. Yes, on the one hand, but I've said this before while we're watching, there is part of him that knows what's going to happen. We see him have these times where he's aware that they're going to get hurt, that they're going to experience loss, that they're going to know things that normal people probably shouldn't know. And he does it anyway. He takes them anyway. He doesn't warn them. He doesn't tell them what they're going to experience. Mm. And it causes strain in the relationship between the two over the course of the series. In fact... Oh, I wish I could divulge so many things <laughs> In off fact, of Martha Jones is a prime example. And emotionally, maybe she maintains the best distance because she realizes early on that this relationship is unhealthy, that she doesn't want to become a semi-permanent traveler, and she winds up leaving the doctor fairly early. So let's go through our companions, starting off only with the revival ones we're going to talk about. So Dr. Number 9, Christopher Eccleston, his main companion was Rose Tyler, played by actress Billy Piper. He was my favorite doctor. She was my favorite companion. She is definitely one of my favorite companions. One, she was there for maybe almost the longest um, her mother is amazing. Her boyfriend annoyed the shit out of you, but I kept he's saying... He's a great character, though. I kept saying, don't worry, he's not that much of an idiot. But the fact of the matter is, he needed her, meaning the boyfriend needed Rose. And it was very evident in the beginning. Well, that was the struggle. He needed her. She didn't really need him. She needed the doctor. Does the doctor need her? It's this whole triangle. Um, Rose started out as a teenage shop assistant, I think she's our youngest companion, at least in this era. She was very relatable. I think that's why people liked her. She had these human actions and responses in contrast to the doctor's perspective. She became very deeply connected with the doctor. She was definitely the ying to Eccleson's yang. Mm -hmm. That sounded dirty. 
And it's not just us. She has consistently ranked high in the best companion polls. As we said... That sounded dirty. (laughs) As we said, she brought in other characters. Her boyfriend, Mickey Smith, played by Noel Clark, who wound up becoming a figure for a long time. Jackie Tyler, her mother, played by Camille Kadori. She annoyed the crap out of me, but in a way that makes her a fun character. Absolutely. And we could extrapolate for days. This podcast could be 16 hours long, mm-hmm. but I will refrain. We're, we're keeping it super brief to the info. You also had a short-lived companion, Adam Mitchell, played by Bruno Langley, who was a boy genius that became a traveler for a little while until the doctor had to throw him out for his negative behavior. We also meet someone that's going to be an ongoing companion, Captain Jack Harkness, played by John Barrowman. This guy, I love this character. I feel like even though he's not a primary companion, he's on the list and is probably your favorite if you include all the companions. When you were watching it, I'm so I'm not as good as you. When you know a book, you read a book, and then we're watching like uh, Game of Thrones, you don't divulge anything. The whole time I'm like, this guy's awesome. This guy's awesome. He's gonna be important. You're gonna love him. You're He's gonna so love important. Him. You're gonna love him. Oh my god! <laughs> like okay, get he's a big deal. He's part of a spinoff, and this is not any kind of spoiler. Mm-hmm. They do a little bit of a spinoff show that you can get on Netflix. It's pretty cool. Torchwood, but, you're talking about. Yes, but as a character alone, he is so cool. And John the actor, ends up being in a CW uh, show called Arrow. And you'll love him in that too. That's all I'll say. I wish I could just divulge everything because, oh my God, I just want to throw <laughs> you're, you're up so much now. information. You're doing it now. Okay, I'll <laughs> Anyhow, he is a time traveler, former con man from the 51st century, whose face you will see for a while. Doctor number 10, David Tennant, continued along having Rose Tyler as a companion for a while. They had a difficult complex relationship to say the least and then after that his primary companion was donna noble played by Catherine tate who is an outspoken temp worker in her mid-30s who actually has a strictly platonic relationship with the doctor it's one of the first times i mean ongoing it's no secret to say there are these romantic interests there's this love but i don't know what level is the love it's very complicated between companions and doctors but not so with donna so Donna, I feel bad for anyone who had to follow Rose mm-hmm. because it's a lose-lose, but she did find her footing. You know, you find out right away when we first start off with her that she is supposed to be getting married. So I think that sets the tone for this straight friendship that occurs between the two of them, but she's also frequently annoyed with, yelling at the doctor, (laughs) very outspoken, has these very big opinions she's not afraid to share that makes it hard to like her at first because of the character she's intentionally portraying. But yes, makes her very different from Rose so that she creates her own character out of this that we are able to like in a different way. It's so crazy when you think about human nature and you start breaking down these episodes when you're doing a podcast and you're thinking about your human reflection on it. We had trouble in the beginning because we're like, Rose wouldn't treat him like this. Why are you treating him like this? We have our own emotions that go into play. Well, even just on a straight personal level, she starts off just shrieking the tone of her (laughs) voice and she's all over the place. We do love her grandfather, Wilfred Mott, played by Bernard Cribbins, 
who becomes one of these kind of secondary characters to her. He's a very sweet man. Wilfred is one of those adorable old men that you'll never forget. (laughs) Never, ever forget. Because David Tennant was the doctor for so long, he did go through three primary companions. He had Rose, then he had Donna, and finally he had Martha Jones, played by Freema Agman, who we said was kind of short-lived. She was a medical student that traveled with the doctor for a year until returning to Earth, where she was recruited to UNIT, and that's the military organization we've spoken about. She was another very strong woman, strong-willed, smart. Mm-hmm. Very sharp. During her time, we got introduced to a villain that is very memorable. And it's funny when I say memorable in this particular villain, because they were really good at making you forget. Well, as we moved into a new doctor, the 11th Doctor, Matt Smith, we also moved into a new primary companion, Amy Pond, played by Karen Gillian, and very different from these last two companions we've had. For our Patreon members, we have covered Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, which Karen Gillian is in. She is one of my top companions for sure because her storyline goes so deep and her boyfriend has another parallel storyline that's just as important. See, I love him where it took me a while. I came to appreciate Mickey. You know, he was tough for me. I didn't really like him as a person. I don't love Amy Pond. I don't she th- plays this, as you said before, where certain characters are more ignorant. That level is super high with Amy. She's very often not aware of a lot of the things that the doctor knows and what's going on. Mm. She's a little more innocent seeming. Well, her backstory, she didn't have parents. And uh, her parent, quote unquote, was the doctor. Mm-hmm. Thus a very different relationship yet again with the doctor. But even just... As a person, I'm saying uh, there's almost like a childlike quality to her yeah. at times. But I think also she was the first companion who was battling with actually loving him and loving her boyfriend. Rose. Uh, not as much. Whoa, 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 whoa. No? Rose was super in love with the doctor. Now we said we're not going to spoil anything. Here we go. Um, <laughs> she... In the, in the beginning, you thought did not care as much about Mickey, but you come to learn that's not true. She does care about him. It is a conflict. I do think Amy loves Rory a lot more, but has her own fair share of issues with that too. I see a lot of similarities actually between them in their portrayal of the companion. Mm-hmm. And what I meant by different, she and Rose are different from the Donna, Martha Jones types of characters. And I think part of that is the independence versus dependence level on the doctor, the type of relationship that they have. We're going to have a fight after this. (laughs) But informationally, let's say, the doctor first met Amy when she was seven, as you said, when she was small, because of this crack on her wall uh, that winds up turning into a huge storyline, brings in her fiancé, Rory Williams, who becomes one of these secondary companions, but definitely has a higher importance level. He's in more episodes. He becomes a part of these adventures. He's portrayed by Arthur Darville. It's because of Amy, you can no longer say a hole in a wall. (laughs) You have to say a crack in the wall. (laughs) It's also here and reoccurring throughout the series, but we'll bring it up now that we meet these two other characters, 
whose roles are hard to define. They're not listed as primary companions, but they're way more important than secondary companions. And they keep running throughout the storylines. One of them is River Song, played by Alex Kingston. She is a mixture of sexy, smart, sexy. (laughs) Uh, But... Honestly, always in the know, which is yes. so different from any other companion. The opposite of who? At times, she seems to know more than the doctor. We brought up in the Christmas special that there are so few constants in this show to have a character that kind of keeps popping up and remains the same in her portrayal, her character, her relationship. She is probably by far my favorite character. Mm-hmm. Spoilers. <laughs> And you also have Clara Oswald, played by Jenna Coleman, who is three distinct but similarly named people living in different eras and will also weave in and out throughout our storyline. Another companion that has cemented herself in the Doctor Who universe for some deep storylines that traverse multiple Doctors. And so that moves us into Doctor number 12, who, as we said, also had Clara, but his primary companion became Bill Potts, played by Pearl Mackey. The doctor tutors her at the university he's hiding out at, and then she begins to travel with him. I love the fact that he was hiding at a university. That was a funny story. I thought that was perfect. Where would the doctor hide? A university. It's perfect. (laughs) And Bill Potts was so different from the other companions. Well, I, I mentioned before that it took me a while to really warm up to Bill. I could tell that you liked her. I can kind of remember the episode where they go back in time during that season where I first started thinking, okay, I'm feeling it now. I'm finally getting the relationship that's Hmm. going on there. And really, weirdly enough, it took Nardole for me to bring Uh. all of those characters together. And he got me to like them and to feel what was happening between them. And you're speaking of Matt Lucas, who plays Nardole. He's funny. He's articulate. He's witty. And his character here, he plays an alien from the 54th century with cybernetic (laughs) implants who belong to a human colony. It's also interesting because he rarely actually travels with a doctor. He mostly stays on Earth. So you have this really fun, fresh dynamic that's happening. It's hard to describe his personality. He's very weird and kind of detached and... Asexual. Right. Asexual. Um... I don't know, he's, you can tell he's not human, mm-hmm. and yet he brings together these human elements. Absolutely. And as we go through these companions, we talk about strong women, strong-willed, strong personalities, super smart. It was a momentum that was building towards the female doctor. Fans and the public, a lot of people were very resistant to the idea at first. There was a lot of controversy around it, and there was a lot of pressure being placed onto Jodie Whittaker, the actress that's going to portray the 13th Doctor. They even introduced one of Doctor Who's main adversaries, who used to be a male, turned female the last couple years as one of the best adversaries I have ever seen. I think you have to do that over time because it's a culture shift for this show that in the original days has been criticized as having a little bit of chauvinist tendencies, Doctor Two Companion. More of that sidekick role, and the doctor has to be very protective of her. And uh, there's kind of a stereotype happening, but that has grown and changed over the years. Where the companion we... is protecting him right. and all these things. And what we're talking about 
as we get into our next segment, which is adversaries, the main three adversaries. And there's been many, Mm. but this is the main. And these are the ones that run over time to, you know, they're, they're reoccurring. They're part of the plot line over the years. The master. The first master we are introduced to was played by a man and he was amazing. I thought he could be Moriarty in the show we were covering previously on our podcast, Sherlock. That actor could have played it. But then, and I won't explain how, the master became a woman, Missy, who was the doctor's main arch enemy, a renegade time lord who wants to rule the universe. I thought whenever Missy was on screen, she took the scene. So the other two really big ongoing adversaries, one is the Daleks, which we talked about before, the doctor's oldest villains who are colleagues from the planet Skaro, mutated by a scientist and housed in mechanical shells. The real creatures outside of the shell resemble octopuses with large brains. Their goal is simple, to exterminate all non-Daleks. They have only one weakness, which is the eye stalk. You can kind of blind it and drive it mad, but it's very difficult to fight them. And then you have the Cybermen. Originally an organic species of humans from Earth's twin planet that began to implant increasing amounts of artificial pieces into their bodies. The race became coldly calculating cyborgs that eventually relocated to another planet. Another group that I thought was silly when they first started, in fact did look silly in its older iterations, they kind of advanced over the years, but another that once you get to know the backstory becomes, I think the most frightening because of all of the implications behind that. In addition to that, you have reoccurring aliens. Uh, I don't know, sometimes they're enemies, sometimes just characters within the show. They are the Slitheen, the Ood, the Weeping Angels, and the Silence. I love the Ood. Yeah. I love them as a character, the whole storyline behind them, and the way they look. I really do too. I don't feel as strongly about the Weeping Angels as you do, although... Oh, I love the Weeping Angels. They're interesting. I just think they're supposed to scare me more than they do. If I had someone come up to me and say, I only have time to watch one episode, I would say, watch the Don't Blink episode. Mm. Well, you've talked a couple of times about music. This is also a major part of this show. While it has changed a little bit over the years and the introduction sequence has changed... Those key elements are still there. It's still recognizably the Doctor Who theme music. And this is interesting. I didn't know before doing research. It was one of the first electronic music signatures made for TV. They say after five decades, it remains one of the most easily recognizable. The original was composed by Ron Grainer and created by Delia Derbyshire of the BBC Radiophonic Workshop. It was regarded as an innovative piece of music recorded well before the availability of commercial synthesizers or multi-track mixers. So each note was individually created by cutting, splicing, speeding up and slowing down segments of analog tape containing recordings of a single plucked string, white noise, and the simple harmonic waveforms of test tone oscillators. That sounds painful. Wow. This arrangement with minor edits served as the theme music up to the end of season 17. Another topic that's brought up often when you discuss Doctor Who are the infamous missing episodes. Between about 1967 to 1978, large amounts of older material that were stored in the BBC's videotape and film libraries 
were either destroyed, wiped, or suffered from poor storage, leading to severe deterioration. This included many old Doctor Who episodes, mostly stories from the first two Doctors. In all, 97 of the 253 episodes produced during those first six years are missing from the archives. Some episodes have been returned to the BBC from the archives of other countries who bought prints for broadcast or by private individuals who had acquired them. Audio versions of all of the lost episodes exist from home viewers who made tape recordings of the show. One of the most sought-after lost episodes is part four of the last William Hartnell serial, The Tenth Planet, from 1966 which ends with the first Doctor regenerating into the second. We talked about this in our Christmas special. They have, this only portion in existence, is the few seconds of the regeneration scene because it was shown in a children's magazine show, Blue Peter. So they put that scene into the last Christmas special, but the rest is missing. Efforts are now underway to restore as many of the old episodes as possible by these forms, getting them from other people, other networks, trying to piece it together. Isn't that hard? It's, it's crazy to think about. Yeah. Well, this takes us into all of the changes that are coming up, moving into our new series, Series 11, with the 13th Doctor. It's going to be airing on BBC One, Sunday nights, beginning October 7th. We still don't have a definitive time. We're thinking maybe 9 o'clock, but don't know for sure. We do know there's going to be 10 episodes, They will be 50 minutes on average, but the premiere will be 65 minutes. The writer and executive producer is Chris Chibnall. Also producing will be Matt Strevens and Sam Hoyle. And it's going to introduce Jodie Whittaker as this 13th Doctor, the most recent incarnation. It marks the beginning of this third production era of the revival. We spoke about that when it came back in 2005 to 2010. You had Russell T. Davies. 2010 to 2017, you had Stephen Moffat, and now you have Chris Chibnall. I am excited about Jodie Whittaker. First of all, I loved her in Broadchurch. I loved her in the other shows and productions that we've seen her in. And I'm very intrigued of what this personality is going to be about. And we'll probably break it down as the episodes go along. Who is this doctor? Do we love her yet? Are we into her? Is she the doctor yet? That'll be one of our main through lines. As we assume Whovians will be listening to us, they'll be going along this emotional roller coaster with us saying, is this my doctor? Mm -hmm. And it's that X factor, right? It's so hard to identify because the doctors have all been so different and brought a different portrayal. It's not like you could say, oh, it's this one thing that makes the doctor. It's so hard to grasp. And yet it's definitely there, whatever it is. Yeah. (laughs) And, um... You know, as you said, we know that Jodie Whittaker is an amazing actress. I found it hard because none of the roles she's played even come close to the depiction, I think, when I imagine what it takes to play the Doctor. You know, Black Mirror, Broadchurch, totally different kind of character. What I didn't think was that she would be David Tennant, Matt Smith-ish with the slightly manic, all-over-the-place high energy, and yet... Watching these trailers, and they're very short, it's hard to get anything from it. It does kind of look like she might be leaning in that direction. There's a new trailer that just came out. Let's take a quick look. I'm the doctor. 
when people need help and never refuse. What do we do? Why are you asking her? Because she's in charge, bro. Says who? Says us. Let's get a shift on. Legend is Exodus. Searching for euphoria. Searching through the mud to find the present. Yeah. I feel glorious, glorious. Got a chance to start again. I'm just a traveler. I was born for this, born for this. Sometimes I see things need fixing. Do what I can. I made it through the So I don't know if you can see That was that. very visual. Yeah, definitely you got to watch the trailer. There's something in her body language, her mannerisms, her facial expressions that's a little Matt Smith. That kind of younger, a little bit all over the place. Yeah. Excited, nervous. She's even dressed weird, eccentric. So I'm already getting a little bit of that. Yeah, um, I'm trying not to be so precious because i've made the mistake of being too precious with what my doctor is but one thing that really is getting me off tilt is this song they're ma- they're trying to make so much of it modern if you look at the art oh it's beautiful like art, the cover though. that they have well it's beautiful but it's nothing mm-hmm. like old doctor who i was hoping they would start to transform it but not completely mm-hmm. you have such a change of guard we've talked about this with the team working on it, the doctors, the companions we'll get to in a second, the feel of everything, the opening music. Yep. Now now this, I mean, I hope they don't forget everything in no. an effort to reinvent themselves. I don't think they will because right away they said, I'm the doctor. And that oh, okay. is so iconic. certain things you have I'm to keep. I'm the doctor. But- she said it a little too fast. I was like, oh, you got you to gotta sit in that because that, that saying has so much weight. You got to sit on that. Well. I'm the doctor. That's a little of that <laughs> Matt Smithness, though, right? That's true. Like, there's so much yeah. happening. But with that being said, we need to sit still. We need to instead absorb it, be a sponge, and then reflect off of it. Because it's conceptions, I think, exact, is what you mean. Yes, exactly. Whitaker herself says it so well. She was interviewed by the BBC about taking on this role. She said to be asked to play the ultimate character. To get to play pretend in the truest form, this is why I wanted to be an actor in the first place. To be able to play someone who is literally reinvented on screen with all the freedom that brings, what an unbelievable opportunity. And added to that, to be the first woman in the role. So, you know, they talk to her. This is a big question that keeps coming up. What does it feel like to be the first woman doctor? She says it feels completely overwhelming. As a feminist, as a woman, as an actor, as a human. As someone who wants to continually push themselves and challenge themselves, to not be boxed in by what you're told you can and can't be, it feels incredible. I want to tell the fans not to be scared by my gender. This is a really exciting time, and Doctor Who represents everything that's exciting about change. The fans have lived through so many changes, and this is only a new, different one, not a fearful one. I was allowed to speak to three previous. The best way to do it with David, because I'm obviously friends with him. So Chris said, could the 13th, who's a little bit nervous about the announcement, give you a ring? And when he said he just saw my name and he was like, why are you calling me? (laughs) 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 This is me. 
and asked so many questions and I don't remember anything <laughs> except I spoke to Peter and Matt and they just said it's the most extraordinary journey you could go on and it's like no other job. In terms of being uh, the first female doctor I imagine there's oh big shoes to fill pressure feeling like I've, I've got to lay it down uh, yeah. just right because there are generations of kids going to see this and grow up and be like I could be the doctor too. I think being the first female is kind of liberating because it's like well I'm obviously going to be, I'm going to look quite different from the previous, but I mean, you can't really compare Peter to Matt and Matt to David. True. There's elements, because we are all playing the Doctor and the Doctor has these traits that are passed down because it's who the Doctor is. I suppose the new body and the new POV gives it this freshness that gives them a reason to regenerate. And I think it's important for young boys and young girls from all over the world to know that, that you can be excited about don't fit a certain like drawing and, right. and and that's just exciting she also said in a different interview that playing an alien playing a time lord gender is not a part of that it's a freeing experience because there's no right or wrong way to do it you're playing an extraterrestrial being so as we said in the beginning it's more about that essence the things that do run true and consistent throughout the doctors that's a little harder to define probably harder to get a hold on as an actor, I would think, you know, maybe that's part of what Capaldi was struggling with. How do I portray the differences, but still hold on to whatever that yeah, that's X difficult. factor is? Very difficult. But she also said she knew right away that she wanted to play this. There was no questions asked. It was challenging because she said she knew that a lot of other big actors had probably gone up for this and wanted the role. But she did mention she's hoping now that it's not a secret anymore because she had to lie about it and not tell people for a long time. But now maybe she'll get a call from some of the people that she does know and she's close with Matt Smith, Chris Eccleston, David Tennant, and they can give her some advice on being the doctor. She couldn't tell them? Are you kidding me? She said the only person she told was her husband and they had a code name for it called The Clooney. She said it was the only person she was allowed to tell. And because they're huge fans of George Clooney and they see him as an iconic guy, it felt fitting. And that's what they called it. As you said, that's not the only thing that's going to change. We have our companion, like we normally do. This time, it's three companions that they're currently referring to as friends. Graham O'Brien, played by Bradley Walsh. Ryan Sinclair, played by Tozen Cole. And Yasmin Khan, played by Mandeep Gill. So here's a big change. Three companions. And it seems like they're going to get equal weight. So we talked about how there's been secondary companions in the past, but this doesn't seem like that. It's, it's a trio. And they have different ages. We can sum this up pretty good by telling you five things you need to know coming into this series. Number one, who's returning and who's not? Well, Michelle Gomez will not return as Missy. Sorry, Jason. Oh, she was amazing. Yeah. We know Matt Lucas left as Nardole and Pearl Mackey as Bill Potts. Uh, Mark Gaddis is confirmed he will not return this season to write. He was asked, but he's going to let them try to move this in a new direction. Supposedly, we will not see our ongoing enemies of the Daleks or the Cybermen. So my opening song is moot. They're not gone forever. I mean, this is just what we hear, all right? So it's not confirmed, confirmed, but... We are going to get a bunch of new monsters. But how can we not get the Daleks? I have no idea how they're going to do that. But that's what I mean about there's a certain amount of changes where it hits that limit. And if yeah. you're a fan, you're just like, oh, please, no more. 
people. They're iconic. And they're not gone for good. Number two, we are going to follow the format of some episodes being set in the future and some in the past. One story will reportedly be set in segregation-era America and focus on the story of the civil rights hero Rosa Parks. Another will take place in 17th century and focus on witchcraft. And there's a bunch of other series mysteries that we won't get into. Number three, we've also gotten a list of directors and writers for the season. Uh, Some of these I don't know, and so I'm going to butcher names. They're really difficult. I'm sorry. We have Mark Tonderay, who's done Lucifer, Gotham, 12 Monkeys, and is scheduled to do George R.R. Martin's Night Flyers. Oh, shit. Jennifer Perot, who did Home and Away. Jamie Childs, who's done Next of Kin and Vera, who will be doing a couple of episodes. And Sally Abrahamian. Writers will include Pete McTie from Wentworth Prison, Joy Wilkinson from Doctors, Ed Heim from Skins, Vinay Patel from the Good Karma Hospital, and Mallory Blackman from Biker Grove. Number four, visual effects. This is exciting. Series 11 will set a record for the most CGI VFX ever used in the franchise. I had a feeling just from the previews that we've seen. Well, that would be awesome. It's such a visual show that definitely is going to amp up what we're seeing. Set in the past, perhaps it's a little easier to get away with, but for the episodes that are set in the future. And finally, number five, for the first time since the seventh series, each episode is set to be a standalone with no multi-parters, but we will still get our Christmas special. So you can rely on some things. Well, we don't have much to go on. We are in the know as much as you guys are, but I am intrigued. I'm excited. I hope that this new Doctor Who delivers what we've learned to love and even more. Well, let me get you excited with one more little piece of information. They threw out two tidbits about episodes one and two. I've read them. They're super vague. They're not going to spoil anything. But if you are afraid of this, you can fast forward about 30 seconds. Episode one will be called The Woman Who Fell to Earth. We don't get aliens in Sheffield. In a South Yorkshire city, Ryan, Yasmin, and Graham are about to have their lives changed forever as a mysterious woman unable to remember her own name falls from the night sky. Can they believe a word she says? And can she help solve the strange events taking place across the city? We were left with this new doctor we were just introduced to. We had about 30 seconds of this new doctor, and she fell from the TARDIS. So we know that we will be without the TARDIS for at least one episode. And that's going to be guest starring Sharon D. Clark, Johnny Dixon, and Samuel Oatley. Episode two will be The Ghost Monument. And we'll be guest starring Sean Dooley and Susan Lynch. Well, I'm excited. I hope you guys are excited too. And I hope they do deliver because we have a lot of Clatchers coming on to the Doctor Who Nation. And if this season sucks, they're going to hate us forever. I don't think it's going to suck. It's probably going to be different. It's going to take us a little while to warm up to it. But I think it sounds like the team has a really good handle on their vision, where they want to go. They feel confident about it. And it's been a while since we've had Doctor Who. It'll be so fun to have this back in our lives. The first time we're talking about it on a podcast other than the Christmas special, we're probably going to nerd out a lot of the time. Beware of that. And you know what? As I said, I hope it doesn't suck. I don't mean that. Like, honestly, I'm just worried because we brought so many people. We brought an army (laughs) to this show. Come watch it. We promise. It's amazing. Yeah. If we really thought it might suck, we wouldn't have done that. So, 
you know, take what I just said with a grain of salt, being <laughs> silly. No, I'm sure we'll have some growing pains. We'll have some complaints. First couple episodes. Oh, where's our old doctors and companions? This is so difficult. But we're really glad you guys are along for the ride. As we move into our regular episode coverage, as we said, make sure you subscribe to the channel so all your episodes come in as soon as they go up. Follow us on Twitter at CKC Podcast, Facebook, CKC Podcast, Instagram, all those great things. Check us out on coffeeclutchcrew.com. We have many things going on there. We have a gear store, really great designs for shirts, mugs, posters, anything you want. And follow us on Patreon. And if you have any Whovian friends, tell them about us because we're going to go along for this ride and time can only tell. And if you haven't followed us on other shows, one of the segments we do for our regular episode reviews is to give our rating for that episode on a scale of 1 to 10, as well as our most valuable character for the episode. We have terminology, which we will post up there when we give our reminders to vote for that week. So make sure you check it out. If you want to tell us what you thought, you can email or tweet us with your responses and we'll include it in the podcast coverage. Or you can just email your comments about the episode in general. Thank you so much for being our companions. We'll see you in a few weeks. Until next time, this round's on me. This round is on me. Please hang up and try again.